Hello and welcome to the Free Movement Podcast. I'm CJ McKinney. This is the second interview in our series on legal blogging and it features Lucy Reed. Lucy is a barrister specialising in family law at St. John's Chambers in Bristol. In addition to her legal practice, she's the author of The Family Court Without a Lawyer, a handbook for litigants in person, which is now in its third edition. Lucy has a particular interest in transparency and openness in the family courts and is the chair of the Transparency Project charity, as well as being the co-author of a new book called Transparency in the Family Courts, Publicity and Privacy in Practice. On top of all that, she blogs on family law at Pink Tape. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Well, tell me about um, the, the, the president of the family division as a fan um, of Pink Tape. Uh, so. And I think of um, Suspicious Minds, which is yeah. another um, family law yeah. blog. Um, that's probably a, a unprecedented. I don't think any other sector has had the, the um, senior judge saying that they, uh, they read this particular practitioner's output. Um, uh, well, must be quite. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um, I'm pleased that he reads it. Slightly daunting, given some of the things I occasionally say on it. But um, so far, I don't seem to have got myself into extremely deep trouble. Do you have a sense of who you're blogging for, or who your readers are? Is it other professionals? Is it people interested in family law? Uh, it's a it's a mix, and I want it to be a mix. And there are some posts who, which are going to be specifically directed at litigants in person or a particular subset of them and there are some that will be pretty much only going to be read by professionals but by and large they are intended and I know they will be read by a mix of people so I have to try to write them in a way that is um, not sort of too dumbed down and patronising but equally is not full of stuff that is just going to go straight over people's heads so yeah it's a wide uh, readership and I hope that it is useful I know it's useful because people tell me professionals say oh you write that blog I read such and such a post and that's useful to them and I know that it's useful to litigants in person as well because they tell me and they quite often people will say can you write a blog post about this particular topic uh, so you get requests yeah I do oh, great I do. and the book we mentioned at the outset that's a handbook for litigants in person does that have a relationship with your blogging then? Did, did that grow out of these posts that you were doing and you collected them or what, what way no, did they...? Well, there's a connection, but not in the sense of it being a sort of anthology of blog posts. Yeah, Although sure. there is, there's some overlap. There are some uh, blogs that I get uh, search results on time and time again, year after year, that are replicated more or less in the book. Okay. So, for example, there's a blog post about the difference between barristers and solicitors um, and there's a, a large overlap between the section in the book and that particular blog post. But, but no, I started writing the blog in uh, 2007. I wrote the book, started writing the book in 2008, 2009. So it came pretty, pretty quickly on the heels of the blog. But it's its own sort of separate entity. You were saying before we um, started you've been blogging slightly less. I mean, is that um, by choice or pressure of work? Are you trying to explore the, the multimedia um, angle no, of things? No, it's, um, it, it's just taking on too many commitments, really, and just struggling a little bit to fit it all in. I'm doing a lot more, spending a lot more time writing for and the Transparency Project and running the Transparency Project. So that squeezed pink tape a little bit. Um, but I try to, you know, I try to make sure I'm writing something regularly, not because um, I feel I have to, but it's I want to be able to write more. It's just a question of fitting in the time. I've quite often I've got a notebook here, which has got a list of 
blog posts that I would like to write but I haven't got time to write at the moment so uh, I'll go through that list when I've next got a few minutes and write the next blog post so you're, you're fizzing with ideas it's just finding the, yeah. <laughs> the headspace well to usually do. fizzing with ideas sometimes not but most of the time I've got something that I want to write and I've just got to find a little corner of time to, to do it in usually I manage to squeeze it in uh, most often on e- evenings and weekends um, it, for me it's quite a useful um switch between uh, most people would think of it as work but it's different from court work and actually it's quite useful in terms of just recharging slightly and enabling me to refocus on the work so I squeeze it in between things and do it when I've got time. It's a form of relaxation for you rather than extra work? (laughs) I don't know about relaxation but it's it's a sort of venting really and I get things off my chest that probably would rankle if I didn't um, and then I can focus on dealing with the issues in the particular case that I'm dealing with. So I find it quite useful, actually. Does it help with your legal work? I mean, what's the, what's the value? Well, I know some people would blog. Certainly some um, larger organisations will set up blogs for marketing and PR purposes. That's never been what it's been about for me. And it's always obvious which blogs are written for that purpose because they're, they're dead behind the eyes. Um, <laughs> for me... It's helpful because when I first started it, quite a lot of the drive behind it was, well, I need to make sure, particularly when I was off on maternity leave, that I'm keeping up with developments, changes in the law, new case law, etc., etc. So it was kind of a, a prompt to make me keep myself up to speed. And a that's sort of CPD always, thing almost. A sort of self-imposed CPD, and that's always been really useful. Um, but also, I, I, it does have a soft impact in terms of marketing, even though that's not why I do it, because... People know who I am, so the name probably sticks a bit better. Maybe not always for the right reason, but it sticks. And and there are some lay clients who have found me and have asked for me because of that. But that took a really long time, really, to to trickle through. Um, I have to say, more often these days, it comes in the form of um, litigants in person, people who don't have legal aid, who are completely at sea and in crisis quite often, who email me and want me to help fix their case. Um, and they don't have any money, and that's really, really difficult to deal with. It's, uh, yeah, that's, that's very tough. Um, the, I suppose your area of law is quite fraught. I mean, it, it, naturally, a lot of emotion around the system, people mm-hmm. maybe who've been through the care system or have strong opinions about um, how it operates and, and the, about children's services and so on. Um, it must be quite a delicate, quite a difficult area to, to put yourself out there as, as the face of that system in some ways. I, I, well, I, I guess so. I mean, it's what I know about, so it's what I write about. But um, much the same as for a judge who is always going to upset somebody when they make their decisions. I guess um, most of what I write, someone will disagree with. Um, there was a time when I was in the early years where a lot of the criticism I got was from father's rights activists who could be quite unpleasant, um, but they seem to have given up and gone away. Um, you know, yeah, I get criticism, I get challenged, but, you know, I've always moderated comments on the blog, but it's very rare that I say I'm not publishing that. I will edit it if there's a legal reason something can't go out. But if somebody wants to say something and they want to disagree with me, then that's fine, and I'll answer them. Quite often uh, I can sit back because one particular interest group will be having a discussion with another particular interest group and they'll be sharing perspectives. It might be professionals, 
uh, with you know social workers or lawyers with parents or activists from a particular angle and they'll be having a dialogue and I think that's great that whatever I've written whether 90% of them disagree with it or not they're talking to each other about it it is a really challenging form of of writing it's it's a technical subject that you're trying to make fun and engaging not always fun but at least engaging and interesting to read um, especially if you're doing a, a debunking piece you're saying no this you know interesting newspaper story is, is wrong here's technical reasons why you know it's, it's hard to stop that descending into pedantry and, and having a go yeah well it is and sometimes I mean brevity has never been my strong point uh, which is why I suspect I've gravitated towards blogging because nobody sets a word limit for me there is such a thing as a blog post that's too long and I've written a fair few of them and actually sometimes you do need to spend a bit of time saying look uh, if you're interested, here are all the reasons why you maybe want to think twice about what you've read in this particular article. And, you know, if people are interested, if you've got them with your amusing headline um, and they are interested, then they'll read it. And, you know, if they're not, well, fine. When we uh, give advice to contributors to free movement, because we have a lot of different people writing for the blog, um, we do sort of, that's one of the things we stress is... Uh, people will judge you on your headline and you might have you know half a second of their attention on the headline if they like it they'll read it if they don't they don't it's um whereas there could be a tendency you know you've written spent two hours writing something oh god i need a headline you slap something on um it's probably the most important thing i think it's really really important saying that my headlines probably all terrible mine are usually amusing and tell you absolutely nothing about the subject matter but i guess maybe they attract people's attention um, and once you've got them in, then maybe you can get them interested with your first couple of paragraphs. But, you know, those are all journalists' tricks. And as lawyers, we're not um, we're not trained in that. You kind of have to learn it as you go. And I sort of, you pick it up by osmosis, really. And, you know, when I first started blogging, um, it was all text. Now I think you're competing on Twitter for people to see uh, and click on a link in a tweet, and you quite often benefit from having an image. You know, so those types of things do make a difference, I suspect. Although they probably shouldn't, but they make a difference to who actually bothers to read the thing in the first place. I mean, you say, as you say, it's not a um, professional skill that lawyers have and journalists do, but it's you know not insurmountable I mean if somebody is a um, junior lawyer or even an established lawyer and they want to you know express themselves in blogging these aren't insurmountable obstacles learning a few bits and pieces about uh, blogging listen we all have uh, lawyers probably have a lot of the um, aptitudes that are needed for this type of stuff there's a lot of overlap between the skills of a journalist and a lawyer but we lawyers are used to having a judge who is a captive audience and who likes dull technical detail um, the judge can tell you to shut up and sit down but by and large they are going to sit in the courtroom until you're finished whereas somebody who's reading a blog will just say I can't be bothered so you've got a different a different audience and we you know lawyers should know that they have to tailor what they're saying to the to the audience. And so it's about knowing your tribunal, really. Yeah, I mean, you'll have that presumably with the client as well. You'll engage with the client in a different way to a judge. It's a different audience as yeah. well. That's, yeah. But, you know, you should be able, with most things, to be able to communicate 
to all of those audiences at the same time. You know, there are some things that are really tough to express so that everybody can grasp them. But actually, if you're skilled at writing and at advocacy, you should be able to um, cleanly and clearly and simply explain what you want to get across. I mean, apart from anything else, if you go into court and you um, talk to the lawyer in, talk to the judge in uh, extremely technical, complex language and syntax, and you have to pass all that information, translate it back for your client afterwards, you're wasting everybody's energy. I mean, obviously a client needs a debrief anyway after a hearing. But really, you should be, when you're addressing the court on behalf of your client, as far as is possible, you should be doing it in a way that they can sit behind you and follow roughly what the gist of it is that you're, you're saying. Um, and I think that actually judges very much welcome being spoken to in plain English. They don't need jargon. Jargon is just a quick, lazy way of saying, saying something that can be expressed more simply most of the time. It probably takes more work to say things. It's hard, it's it's really, more, it is yeah. hard, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. I'm far from perfect at it. Sometimes when we're under pressure, we all resort to jargon or shorthand. Um, but, and that's inevitable. But I, certainly when I was writing, when I write the blog, when I write blog piece posts for Transparency Project, when I write Family Court Without a Lawyer, I've learned that you can write something, you think, well, that's about as straightforwardly as I can express this. But actually, if you go back over it again, or better still, if you get someone else to say, can you simplify that sentence? They will be able to simplify that sentence. We, we quite often write um, collaboratively. We do collaborative drafting at Transparency Project. And we'll pass a document around. And you would be amazed at how many times we can reiterate the same thing in a slightly more crystallised, slightly more plain English way. It will get better and better over time. It's so almost invariably a simpler way of saying it something. It is always a simpler way of saying something. So tell me about the Transparency Project then. Uh, this is a charity you've set up. It's about transparency opening up the family courts? Uh, yeah, so the Transparency Project is a public legal education charity. We set it up in 2015. Um, our charitable objectives are all about providing better information about family courts and family law, about uh, helping to explain that law and about trying to promote public discussion and debate about how the law works and the system works. Um, and um, we generally summarise that by saying we make family justice clearer. And how do you go about doing that then? We, well, we operate through uh, blog and Twitter. We publish quite a lot of um, corrective and explanatory material about things that are in the mainstream press. We run a project called Family Court Reporting Watch, which is funded by the Legal Education Foundation. Um, so if there is a particular case that reaches the news um, and either it's a bit complicated or not very clear what's going on legally or it's been misreported, we will write a blog post explaining it, pointing people to the source material um, and uh, generally answering people's questions about it. Sometimes we'll spot a case that um, is a good springboard for explaining something which we know often confuses people or is controversial for some reason. What are the sort of ideas or principles around an effective debunking, if you like? Um, well, I think it's just about, for me anyway, it's just about being um, very methodical and um, for each point that you make, um, being able to produce a piece of evidence or a link um, that is uh, able to demonstrate why 
such and such a proposition isn't accurate. Um, and to do it fairly and um, to do it in a way that is going to be um, engaging but is not just being catty for the sake of it. It's, um, it's a hard balance to strike, isn't it? It's a it, hard be... balance because the snarky posts are the most fun to write. But, you know, it has to be a means to an end. Um, and actually, it's, it's no good if it sort of just degenerates into an attack just for the sake of it, because then it just turns into trolling somebody, doesn't it? And that's... Sure. I mean, who, who are the other people that you look at um, in that context or just in, in writing about law generally that you admire and think do it really well? So Head of Legal was around right from the beginning, Carl Gardner, Head yeah. of Legal. Um, and there's some small amount of overlap in some of the stuff that we've covered. Most of his stuff is different to mine, but um, there's some overlap in some of the stories we've tackled or issues we've tackled. Um, David Allen Green, obviously, is very good at the kind of methodical analysis through blogging. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of them. You know, this is against maybe a backdrop of very few newspapers of legal correspondence and I think there's a general sense um, you've touched on a couple of times that um, the quality of uh, legal reporting and journalism is is not always great um, in the mainstream press do you think lawyers have a responsibility to um, do their bit to improve public understanding of um, legal issues or is that just like pro bono you know you've, you've got enough on you shouldn't have to fill these gaps uh, well I, you know I'm pretty driven to do that but I do get I it is very much like pro bono I do object if people try to guilt trip me and say you're a professional you've got an obligation to do this that and the other actually you know you have to leave that up to the individual most of us do feel that we should do a certain amount of pro bono but for you know for me I don't do probably as much pro bono as I used to and the reason for that is because I spend my time writing blogs for the Transparency Project and Pink Tape, updating Family Court Without a Lawyer, um, all of those other things, various other projects I've been involved in, like the Family Court Info website. And that takes up quite a lot of time. And actually, with my particular skill set, I and my working commitments, I can help more people by doing that than by giving up a few days a year to help somebody through the bar pro bono unit. So that's where I devote my energy. So if somebody wants to guilt trip me about do, not doing enough pro bono work then they're going to get a bit of a frosty reception so I think you have to leave people to do what they are driven to do and what fits their lifestyle and their particular skill set because you know this stuff is stuff I do because I want to do it and that's where I'm most effective it's a very efficient way of of um, of helping people, I guess. Like yeah, I, and we've I got lot, we've got lots of enthusiasm, lots of people who want to help the transparency project, and that's brilliant. But I'm not going to say to anyone, "You ought to be doing this. Why aren't you doing that?" So, what's the favourite blog post you've ever written? Uh, well, I do quite like, in spite of what I said, I do quite like writing the snarky blog posts because they are quite. Um, satisfying but uh, in terms of blog posts that seem to be most popular to readers the one that stands out in terms of the number of uh, the amount of traffic was the December 2013 post about the Italian c-section case which just way outstripped anything I've ever written oh yes give us the background there was a case where um a mother who was said to have mental health difficulties had travelled here from Italy 
and uh, was said to lack capacity and a health trust applied for her to undergo caesarean without her consent in order to protect the baby and then subsequently there were care proceedings issued in respect of the baby once born Um, and it was very widely um, misreported initially it was reported I think in the Telegraph uh, where it was said that the local authority had applied for um, orders to effectively remove the baby before birth uh, which was not legally accurate and it just it sort of mushroomed from initial inaccurate reports it became a massive furore and became a massive media sensation and it ran away with itself um, and I was sort of trying along with a number of others including Carl Gardner head of legal to sort of correct some of the misreporting and it got a huge amount of traffic to the blog I remember having to phone up my husband from Yate Magistrates Court I think it was I got a feeling it was snowing and I remember ringing him up and saying quick quick we've got to in- increase the bandwidth on the website it's going to crash it's the only time I've ever had to do that um, so that's the most popular one that I've ever written you know you're doing something right yeah when, when that happens and, and you're really um, I suppose doing people a service by, by trying to dig behind these sort of sensational headlines um, but you get a lot of that in family law like the Charlie Gard case uh, last year was very um, I mean you know I think Mike Pence the American Vice President was quoted on it and stuff yeah I mean you do get those cases where everybody it turns into this massive pile on of not just media organisations but all sorts of people who are not really connected to the case just piling in and that's you know we did a, a a lot of work on the transparency project as that particular case was unfolding trying to explain the legal concepts explain what was going on trying to link to the relevant judgments correcting things that were misreported um as it went along so that it, we, we do try to keep up with those um those stories we can't keep up with all of them but but yeah that was a particularly um significant case for all sorts of reasons last year and are you confident optimistic about the success of efforts to sort of you know debunk these these wild misunderstandings and and sort of improve um people's understanding confident about success no but it's definitely necessary and worthwhile um you know i'm not some kind of um naive person who thinks that you can just stick up a few blog posts and everybody will be uh, educated and sensible and calm and rational and that's not how the world works but I just think it's really important to make information available to people if they want to read it then that's fine but um, you know people have free will all we we can do at Transparency Project all I try to do at Pink Tape is put that information out there I'm happy to talk to people about it and I'm happy to hear I want to hear what people think about it because that informs the way we do things but um but, you know people people will make up their own minds and all you can there's do a is, lot of information out there <laughs> all you can do is give uh, people the information yeah. you can and and uh, you know you do a great job at least it's uh, it's a, always a pleasure to read your stuff uh Lucy, thanks very much for your time today thank you